Yeah, thank you, Pat. Well, good morning. If you got a Bible, thank you, Carol. Um, if you got a Bible, uh, grab your Bibles, please. Turn to Romans chapter 2. I'm excited about today. If you haven't been with us at all over the last couple of weeks, we are in a series. Uh, it's still kind of new. We're going to finish up chapter 2 today uh, in part 2 of what we did last week, Religion Can't Save. Um, Paul writes this letter to a powerful church in what I call the powerhouse of the earth in, in the Mediterranean world. Um, and it's full of Gentile and Jewish believers, people that have come to faith in Jesus from both Gentile, non-Jewish background, and Jewish, those who grew up as Jews in the training and the law, uh, and then they give their life to Jesus. So it's a mixed uh, within, within that congregation. Uh, he's addressed several things. Last week, just got to go a little bit, I can't go too far back, but last week Paul dealt with the religious those who banked on being Jewish, those who said, you know what, I'm good with God because of what I have done, who I am, I'm a, I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm good. And today, it's part two, uh, so it's going to kind of carry over a little bit, where it's a little bit deeper than that, where Paul's going to deal with more of the hypocrisy of those that claim one thing, yet they live another. Kind of like the, the, the chewing gum, which was fantastic, it wasn't even planned, Lane, he knocked it out of the park, it was perfect. Um, I didn't have where to put it, but I think that through. Uh, but it's exactly right. So today, we're going to finish chapter 2 next week, kind of where we're going to be. We're going to get into chapter 3 in the, in the first 20 verses about why we need the gospel. And then two weeks from today, we're going to look at a shorter text in 21 and 31 uh, of the next chapter and have the Lord's Supper and celebrate the gospel. Um, because today, next week, and last week, there's, it's, 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 it's heavy, if I could say that. Uh, I joked with some that have kind of caught me and said, man, I, you know, Valentine's coming. Can't you do something a little lighter, a little easier, kind of joking but when we go through, through books of, of the Bible, I, I, it's, it would be a lot easier to prepare for that. I'm not going to lie to you, but you can't skip the hard parts. Uh, and so there's a lot here, a lot of really good things here, uh, as Paul's going to deal with part two of hypocrisy. And we all know what hypocrisy is before we read our text. It, it's, it's not just, if you look at the basic definition, not even a, a theological definition, but the basic definition of what hypocrisy is, it's someone who claims a particular moral belief or practice, but behaves and shows that those things are not sincere, okay? So even in the, the most basic non-theological definition of hypocrisy, it's not just about gum, or those things kind of carry over, but it's something about the practice of moral beliefs of I claim one thing and do another. That's what Paul's going to unearth here in the text. And as I'm going to say several times, it is not just a first century thing we got to drudge through, but it's a 21st century thing that we can drudge through. Hypocrisy is not something that even Jesus Christ takes lightly in Matthew 23. He literally calls those Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, and he, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them snakes. He calls them brood of vipers. He calls them those who are going to not escape the judgment of hell. So Matthew is, excuse me, it, Jesus is very clear that this is a big deal, not because of just condemnation, but because I want you to get it. I want you to see it. So I'm just going to throw this out there, and we're going to stand and read our text. If I feel a little bit angst today, or if I feel a bit of passion about this, it's because this weighs heavily on me uh, as a pastor, uh, as someone who leads the church and, and, and where we're at. So I just want to just kind of lay all that out there. If you would, we'll stand and we can read our text today. And we'll go through it together as a church. Romans chapter 2. 17 through 29. In light of last week, here's what he says. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and you brag about your relationship with God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, but you are instructed by the law. 
if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those in the darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, the embodiment of the knowledge of truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, or rob temp- do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, they will not be regarded as those they as though they were circumcised, excuse me. Verse 27. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you. Who, even though they have the written code and circumcision uh, are the lawbreakers. Verse 28. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely an outward or physical thing. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. By the Spirit, not by written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray together. Said it earlier, I mean it again, just every head bow, every eye closed. Just take a deep breath, relax. Wherever your heart's at, whatever your heart's desire is today, if it is to be changed and shaped and molded, ask him to do that. Uh, I, I say it every week. I can't, I can't say something and word it in a way that you're gonna, it, it's going to change you, but the spirit of the living God can do that through the, through the spoken word and through his spirit. If you have things in your life that we need to ask God to push to the margins for clarity and focus, would you do that as well? And selfishly, if you would pray for me, that as we go through a weighty text, that, you would, that, that I would preach it clearly and with confidence uh, of what he has for us today. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be in this place, um, to put ourselves in a place to hear from you. Uh, I ask, God, that the words that are said today are your words. I ask that you would speak truth, that we would dive deep into the deep end of the theological pool and, and, and to, to see what you have for us today, to change us and to shape us and to mold us into what you've asked us, to convict us from, from things that need to change, maybe to draw people to salvation, maybe to rekindle uh, a life uh, or, or, or a walk that needs to be rekindled in their faith. Just meet us where we're at and change us and help us to be obedient in whatever you've called of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, one of the metaphors or the analogies that came up as I was studying this text was that of an auditor, of, of how Paul comes across, not just in a legal term of, of trying to make a case, as he's done, but almost as an auditor, where he's trying to audit these religious Jews and saying, hey, we need to look at these things and kind of see where you stand. Uh, and and the, where this kind of comes about is in verse 25, where he talks about circumcision has value if you observe the law. Value in the Greek of fellow, which means benefit, profitable, it's valuable, and so what he's doing is he's going to look at some of the things in their life, what they believe, what they practice, 
what's worthy, what's not, and he's going to kind of expose what needs to be there and what doesn't and see if it lines up. And so right off the bat, we get into this in verse 17. He's going to deal with uh, this hypocrisy. He has dealt with the pagan Gentiles, those that said, I want nothing to do with God. And three times God gave them over to what they wanted because they wanted the stuff more than they wanted the giver. And, and Paul's very clear, if you push away the, the, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, then, then no sacrifice for sins is left. No other help's coming. That's it. And now he turns, last week, he turned to the religious Jews, those who were banking on, on, on their religion, and that's why I called it religion can't save. And today, it's part two of dealing with the hypocrisy of those same Jewish people. So let's go through verse 17 through 20 real quick, and we, got, we have a lot to cover, but look at 17 through 20. Listen to what he's doing as he's auditing them, if you will. He's going to have a laundry list of things that they claim or believe or practice of who they are. Look what he says. Now, if you, you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and you boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for those in the darkness, we'll talk about that in just a minute, and an instructor for the foolish, teacher of little children or ignorant is what it might say, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So Paul is addressing their bold claim of beating their chest, of being Jewish, of being God's people. We're the holy ones. We're God's people. And he's talking about, so what he's doing is exposing this, and he says in 17, three things. He says, you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law, and you boast in God. Those are great things, right? None of those are, are, are negative. You're claiming to be Jewish. You claim to have the law, and you're boasting in God. And, and, and what Paul's trying to say is, if you're going to do that, then let's live this. Let's practice this. In verse 17, I want to hang out there for just a second, because he's, he's calling them out on this, this, this willful desire of their heart to claim Jewishness, to claim the law, and to be boastful in God. Here's, here's a cool story. If you get bored today, flip to Matthew chapter 3, because there was a very odd man named John the Baptist, or as I call him, JTB. John the Baptist shows up in Matthew chapter 3. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. They are confessing their sins, and he's be baptizing them. And in the midst of it, these Pharisees and Sadducees walk up. They come to the waters, if you will. And John the Baptist doesn't even let them talk. He immediately, does he immediately speaks out to them, and he says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from this coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's calling them to repentance. And listen to what he says. You can turn back there if you want to, but I don't have time to go through all of it. But he says, Don't you dare added the dare. He says, don't you dare, don't you think that, quote, we have Abraham as our father? Because what he tells them, he, he's telling these people on the banks of the Jordan, these Pharisees that are coming, he says, don't you dare hang your hat on being Abraham's descendants. And what he says in Matthew 3, he says, God's going to raise up sons of Abraham from the rocks. Now, that's a crazy guy that's wearing camel fur, eating bugs, and preaching repentance, and doing all these things. But what's he saying? It's the same thing Jesus says, same thing Paul's trying to do. Don't bank on being religious. Don't bank on your baptism, your Jewishness, your, 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 what you believe, all these things. And he doesn't want them to hide behind their religion of Abraham and Jewishness and say, don't think you're good just because of who you think you are. Don't hide behind that. They felt that they were good with God because they were Jews. They felt that they were in a modern church, maybe today, they felt that they were good because they grew up in a Christian home. 
Maybe they felt that they were good because they were born in America. Maybe they felt they were good because they got baptized as a child. Maybe they felt they were good because they walked down an aisle and made a public profession. Maybe they felt that they were good because they, they go to church or they give or they do all the things we talked about last week. Maybe they felt they were good because the things that they were doing. That's the heart of John the Baptist. That's the heart of Paul. That's the heart of Jesus of trying to expose. Don't bank on religion to think that you're okay. Skip to verse 19, when he says a couple of things that I want to take some time on here. He, call, he says two things. He calls, not calls them, he, he reminds them. He says, you claim to be a guide for the blind, a light for those in darkness. Those are two things in the Old Testament that this Old Testament scriptures talk about the people of Israel. You're going to be the one that's going to guide the blind. You're going to lead the people and lead them to, the, to, to God. And you're going to be a light for those in darkness. And I'm going to give you one example on the screen. Isaiah 42. Isaiah says this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for, uh, to be a covenant for my people and a light for the Gentiles. A light to show the way. A guide to lead the, the, the ones that need to go. This is what the people of Israel were to be. Yet they were banking on themselves, not on God. I was reminded of Matthew chapter 5. Do you remember this? It, it might remind you of a, child song, a children's song about your light shining. Matthew 5, he says, The city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men put the light under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. We don't hide it. We let, the, we let people see it so it can give light to the open house and let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works, not to look at you, but so that they can glorify the Father. Even Jesus in that text says, I, it's not about you letting your, shot, your light shine before men so they can go, you're good, you're awesome. Know that they could glorify the Father. That was their calling. That was what God has called them to do. They thought they were capable of doing that, but in fact, they're condemning the very people they were told to lead and to guide. Now, this is important. It's on the screen. You can mark it or you can flip there if you want to. In Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus is dealing with this hypocrisy stuff, he doesn't play around with this. He's hammering these, these Pharisees and he confronts their hypocrisy in verse, verse 13 of chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He calls them, You hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Let me read that again. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Travel over land and sea to, 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 to win a single convert, yet you have succeeded. You make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. These are Jesus' words. And look at what he says in verse 16. Look at verse 16. He says, woe to you. And look at what he says. Blind guides. I'm not sure if that translation says it on the screen if we have that, but he says blind guides. These are people of Israel. They're supposed to guide the people. And Jesus is saying, y'all, you ever heard the phrase the blind leading the blind? That, that's it. He says, you're supposed to lead these people to God and, and you are blind guides and you're just wandering around and they're, they're going to follow you because you're going to tell them one thing and yet do another. And so that's the heartbeat multiple times behind Jesus' words of saying, you have to, we've got to practice what we preach and what we believe. And he's telling these guys, like, you had a job, you're supposed to lead the blind and, and shine a light. Don't hide it under a bushel. You're supposed to be a God for the blind, teach the children, lead them to God, and yet you are pushing them away. And Paul identifies these Jewish believers in this Roman church, and he 
in my words, he, he's saying they're dangerously confident. They're, they're confident in, in what they claim, who they think they are, and it's clear that their life was not reflecting that. He's trying to, if you want to put it this way, if he, when you try to get what's the bottom line, Paul is trying to dismantle or destroy whatever words you want to say, their self-confidence, their false security in themselves. Remind me of the, the old illustration of Muhammad Ali. I've said this before, so you've heard this. When he was on an airplane, and you know, he was quite you know, the boxer in his day, if not the best of all time, whatever you want to argue, whatever. But he's on an airplane, the stewardess says, hey, it's time to, we're about to take off, you need to put on your seatbelt. You know this story. Stewardess asks him to put his seatbelt on, and he says, quote, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And the stewardess, I wish I knew who this was, the stewardess comes back and says, well, Superman doesn't need a plane either. I think of that analogy, and I think of that story, and I think about Muhammad Ali. He doesn't need, I, I got this. I know who I am. I know what I'm a, capable of, and you should too. And I think of that when Paul's trying to dismantle their, their arrogance of who they think they are because of their history or their heritage. They viewed themselves as those who should instruct and correct, and rather, they were doing the opposite. Paul said that they felt confident that they could do these things, but they were leading them astray. Historically, this is where, this is where I, I, there's a little rub here. I'm going to share my heart a little bit. There's, historically, in the Jewish faith, rabbis would teach this. Now, hear, hear this. Jewish rabbis would teach, quote, to study the law is equal to keeping the law. Let me say that again. Study the law is equal to keeping the law. Now, we think of the law, we don't have time to get through all of the, the law, the prophets, the, the teachings, the, the, all these things. And I put in my notes, I put, whoa. So no, no emphasis on living it, no emphasis on practicing it. They equated studying it to living it. So let me put it in practical terms. You being here with your Bible open, reading it or listening to it, whatever, whatever that is for you, that's just as equal in the eyes of the Lord as living it. Now, I, don't, I think if I did a straw poll in this room, if I said, hey, if studying the Bible, is that just as good as, as living it? Is that equal? You'd probably say, no, it's, 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 it's very important to study, yes, but we need to practice it, right? You see, the Jewish believers, it's, it, they, they were trained, they felt secure in their knowledge, and he's using their claims and their heritage to get to the real problem in verse 21 and 24. It's the failure to practice it. Look at 21 through 24. He says, you then, who, who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Man. You see, this is where it's tempting for, for when you're standing on the stage to want to skip this part because Paul is removing layers and he's exposing the heart. Great, you have the law. You teach it. You study it. You learn it. You're devoted to it. You're, 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 you're trying to help other people, but do you teach yourself? Does it apply to you? 
Now, I want to tie it back to last week, and this may be a little hard to hear, but I, I, I can't help it because this is the stuff that kind of haunts because I have, not only as the pastor who stands up there and teaches, but like the, the standards are higher. I mean, I've got, to, I've got to practice what I preach. I've got to do these things. But also, on top of all of that stuff and giving an account for, for doing those things, I have to stand before the Lord someday and give an account for, for what we're doing here. Paul is exposing the heart, and I can't, I'd be lying to you if I, didn't, if I didn't really feel an angst in my heart sometimes for the local church. Because I think about Matthew 7, and we talked this on Sunday night with some of our senior adults, and I asked the question in Matthew 7 when Jesus says that wide is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path to righteousness, and few will find it. And we talked about that a little bit, and I said, tell me, what, what does that mean? What does that look like in the local church? And we started talking and dialoguing some stuff. And it's, and it's haunting sometimes to think about how palatable we can make the gospel and how palatable we can make the scriptures and disengage or, or pick and choose where the scriptures are pretty clear. And I said this last week, but Lord, I preached. I, I stood on the stage and preached on Sundays. Well, I prophesied. I, 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 we did demons. We exercised demons, performed miracles. We preached. We taught Sunday school. We led in, in church. We did ministries. We worked with children or youth, and we don't like kids. I mean, I, I used that example last week. Lord, I don't even like kids, and I'm working with them, and teenagers. And, and, and what is God about? What is Jesus about? He's about the heart. He says, that's great, but depart from me. I don't know you. He's wanting the heart. He's wanting a relationship, all of the things we talk about. So in context, we can study and we can have knowledge of the faith. We can do all of these things and we can be just like the Jewish believers that were trained by rabbis to say to study and to have mental knowledge is equal to living it and miss the whole thing. I told you earlier, this is kind of an angst in my heart because it breaks my heart and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm challenged by this personally as well. Paul continues. He's going to continue with an audit, if you will, in verses 25 and 27. He's going to bring up the matter of circumcision, and parents, I'm going to leave that to you guys to go. We're not going to explain exactly what that is. I'll let you do that, but we have some things to cover. Look at 25 through 27. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you are not circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, why will, excuse me, will they not be regarded as those who are circumcised? 27. The one who is not circumcised physically yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Now, let's reflect for just a second. Sparing details, if you will, okay? Thank you. Sparing details. Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision is a very important thing. It was a sign that was fundamental to the Jews. It symbolized the covenant between God and Abraham's descendants. This is where we go. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Verse 9 of chapter 17 of Genesis. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. They are to undergo circumcision. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, you can read on what that talks about. There's a little bit of irony here. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm really not. But there's a little irony talking about how the people will be cut off from his people. They will, if they break the covenant, they will be separated. And often in our church, what we often try to do, and it's not wrong, it's just kind of, we, we try to equate baptism with, 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 with circumcision. It's kind of the closest thing we have as far as an outward expression of the faith. Are you with me? about making a, a, a visible public expression of what we want to do about a new life and following Jesus. But it's not quite the same. 
You see, circumcision was the expression of Israel's national identity, the requirement of all Jewish men. It was a physical reminder for the Jews of their national heritage and their privilege. Many were confident that it sealed their position with God. But just as having the law didn't make a person right before God, neither did circumcision by itself. It was a false confidence. To be circumcised was worth something of value if you obeyed and practiced the law. I love how Tim Keller put it. This is, what, this is what happened. This circumcision had become a part of Jewish pride, the basis for complacent assumption that their cultural identity bestowed righteousness. Their, quote, relationship with God had become based on pride, not humble joy. Paraphrase for, for me, they have turned their religion in on themselves and made it about them, that their chest puffed up and they beat their chest that we're Jewish, we're circumcised, we're this, we're that. But they trusted in that more than in Jesus. Now, rhetorical question. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is it possible, because I don't think anybody in this room is Jewish, unless you are. Tell me your story, church. I want to hear it. Is it possible, church, is it possible for you to trust in Christianity rather than on Jesus? Is it possible for you to trust in the church or religious functions or practice and things, which are all amazing things, profound, instituted by God, but to trust in those rather than on Jesus. Is there any temptation that Satan might want to use against you that you might not stray after other things but get you to get caught up in other things and beat our chest of we're baptized, we're Baptist, we're Christians, we're this, but God wants the heart. And I stumbled across a term this week that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it kind of took me back a little bit. It's on the screen for you. You can have it. You can write it down. You can study it for yourself. It was called dead orthodoxy. I put it on the screen because if I've ever heard of this term, I'm not that smart, but I, I don't remember if I ever have read about that. I don't remember it, but it caught me, and I took pu a push back from my computer as I'm working on this term, and, and I just kind of didn't feel good in my stomach. <laughs> orthodoxy is practice or what we believe and what we do those things, and what theologians call dead orthodoxy is when the basic doctrines of the Bible are articulated, taught, ascribed to, but there's no internal difference. There is an intellectual grasp of the gospel, of the scriptures, of all that God has made, is, is instituted as right and true, but there's no internal revolution of the heart, no transformation of the heart. Translation of what that means in the modern day is we preach, we teach, we have a knowledge of the gospel, but it never reaches the heart. There's not spirit-led, there's no inside change. And if I'm honest, this is the angst of what can happen as the heart. When I read what Jesus says about narrows the path, you are going to find it. And it's a very fancy way to say what I've said for several weeks now. It's like my fear for so many in the American church, not just here, but in the church in general, is people who might trust in something else. People who might trust in their lives. If there's nothing marked by Jesus in their lives, but they're trusting back to a thought of, I baptized, I pray to prayer, I go to church, I do these things. I've used examples of talking like, when's the last funeral you've been to when somebody was very clearly, they didn't know Jesus or love Jesus? That's when we get the, the, the terms, if everybody gets preached into heaven, it's the good old boy Christianity, I, I did all these things, and I even stage last week and I said, if we have to look backwards and, and look some part of history of our life to, to justify that we're good with, with God because of something that we've done, and we can't look at the fruit, as Jesus says, good trees produce good fruit. Now, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall, we're going to repent and all these things, but if we have to look backwards and think, something in my past some external religion, something that I've done, that's going to bank on my future, then I think that's where the red flag goes up. And my heart's desire is this, is that we need Jesus. We need 
a heart that has been revealed and that is softened and has come alive from death to life. And I don't like this quote, but I'm going to share it either. I was reading it, and I almost turned the page, and I want to read it. But here's what Tim Keller says, and he's, he's studying this. He brings this terminology of dead orthodoxy, and he says this. Dead orthodoxy makes the church into a religious cushion if people who think they are Christians, but in fact are radically and subconsciously insecure about their acceptance before God. So every Sunday, people can gather around to be reassured that they're right. Now, you don't have to like that quote. I don't like that quote. But church, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it, it blows my mind. You think globally, and you think of the, the churches all over the world that want sermons that are going to just reassure them and tell them and skip these hard parts and skip it and just tell me that I'm good. And what Paul is saying, you may be in, in all right and true of things we've got to repent and work on in our lives and change, but God help us if we live a life, if I, if you, if we live a life of dead orthodoxy where we got it all right here. I know the stories. I can tell you the verse. I can tell you the page number. I can teach my kids. I can teach my grandkids. I can teach my spouse. I can teach this, do this. I can preach. I can do these things, but it's not here. My prayer is for hearts. And this is where, if I'm honest, church, can I just be, this is where I was almost, I was like, maybe I should just do a Valentine's sermon. Talk about love. What's love got to do with it? And do some songs. I can think of a lot of songs I could talk about. Tina Turner, by the way. But I've got to give an account that I have to stand before the Lord and cover the heart stuff, not just as me. I've got to give an account for practicing what I'm preaching on this stage and doing. I've got I to gotta give an account for, for, for covering the hard stuff. And, 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 and I, I just want us all myself at the very top of the list to have our hearts evaluated today of where we stand. Are we banking on religion or are we banking on Jesus? Is it a mental ascent, a mis- mental uh, uh, accumulation of knowledge or a heart that's changed? I pray for the spirit of the living God to, to fall fresh and to change us. And there's times in our lives as followers of Jesus where we can get derailed and, and, and we, we, we all do. We make mistakes and ask God to repent, uh, help us repent when we come back. And maybe there's some in the room that, that maybe you don't know Christ, and today could be that day. He's about the heart. This is where we c- conclude our text in 28 and 29. A person's not just a Jew, is one who's one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely an outward and physical. Now, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. That's important. By the Spirit, that's important. It's not by written code. It's not by the law. It's not by doing things. Such person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Paul says, excuse me, hey Jewish people, hey religious people, what makes you truly Jewish, what makes you truly a descendant of Abraham, what makes you truly one who practices that is not an outward physical thing that you've done in circumcision, but what's on your heart? Paul said, Jesus said, John the Baptist said, all throughout the scriptures, and and Paul writes a lot of other churches about dealing with the heart. What's in the heart is who we are. And our hearts are what need to be circumcised, to be separated, to be for him. We can't keep the law. Paul's going to talk about later next week, and we, we all fall short, we all fall to the glory of God, and 
We're going to talk more next week in the first 20 verses. Then we're going to celebrate with the Lord's Supper in two weeks. And just, you know what? We need Him. We can't do it without Him. We can't be good enough. We can't adhere to the law. We can't be religious enough. We can't bank on any of that stuff. It is the finished work of the gospel. It is what Jesus has done. The finished work of the gospel. He kept the law that we couldn't do. He fulfilled the law. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to do all of that so that we can place our faith and our trust in Him. Even the most religious Jew of the time could not keep it. None of us can. Now, this is not a soundbite, so please, I'm not trying to be funny here at all. Please, this is not a soundbite, but here's the thing. We all have to be circumcised, but it is a heart. It is a change. Maybe you won't forget that today. But it it is something that God, by his spirit, that's what Paul says, by his spirit has to do. It's too important not to be clear. Paul says to the hypocrites, Paul says to those who are religious, it's not about the external stuff. It's not about those things. It's about your heart. It can't save you. It can't keep you in good favor with God. Paul, Paul hammered in Galatians chapter 3 of those who said, you know what? Hey, we're living good. And somebody snuck in. Read chapter 3 today of Galatians. Somebody snuck in. And Paul says, hey, who tricked you? You were doing good. And now you think you, what started off with like the Spirit, now you think you can be good enough? Who fooled you to think that you can be good enough? You can't save yourself. So why do you think you're going to keep doing this? So over and over in the Bible, it keeps coming up where Paul's trying to say, it's not about you. You can't bake on those things. This is the beauty, as I close, the beauty and the power of the gospel. There's a ton of verses I could have turned to. I'm going to turn to Colossians chapter 2. If you want to turn your Bibles, I want you to read this. I'm going to read this, and we're going to be done for the day. But here's the goal. God has to circumcise the heart. He has to change the heart. Ephesians 2, from death to life. He's got to change us. Prophet Ezekiel talked about a heart from stone, heart of flesh, one that wants to change. It's an inward change of the heart, not a mental assent or knowledge that we can acquire. Anybody can gather the facts and figures about Jesus. But my prayer, my heartbroken prayer is that we, this is the church that I'm responsible for, that we as a church that would not be known for dead orthodoxy, if we got all the knowledge, we could do whatever, we, could, we know all of it, but our hearts are here and it's not changing what we're doing out here. And I can't change you, you can't change me, but if that it lands on anybody, I know it lands on me that we would come and repent and say, God, help me, help me to live my faith, help me to practice what I preach, help me to not be a hypocrite of the things that I claim to believe. And when, not if, but when I fall out of line, and help me to, 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 to come back and to, to repent and, and to change, to be heartbroken for what breaks your heart. I'll close with this, Colossians chapter 2, this is really good stuff, but we're done. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is God. And in Christ you've been brought to fullness. We talked about this about a month and a half ago. You're made complete. Your identity is secure in Jesus. He is the head over every power and every authority. So anything that wants to squelch that in your life, he is enough. He is sufficient. Look at verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Catch this, your whole self by the flesh was put off, if you put it, cut off, all that, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, put your name in there. When, When David was dead in his sins and in the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made me alive. 
He forgave us all of our sins, and he canceled, ready for this? He canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, the written code, what we deserve, what the law says. Hey, you can't keep it. You've got to be perfect. You've got to do all of these things, and what Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus completed all of that. He literally nailed it to the cross. I want to read 14. He's canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and it condemned us. He's taken it away. Nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and all the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's pray together. Before we stand and sing, I just want to, I do confess, I know, I know it's a lot. But here's my request. Every head bow your eye closed. You're not going to do I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But here's the thing. This is between you and the Lord. I don't know where you're at. I know where my heart's at. What are you banking on? If it is anything other than the finished work of the gospel, then we've got a problem. Maybe your life is just, maybe there's just a lot of stuff going on. Maybe life's been hard, whatever, and you, and you feel like you've kind of strayed, and today could be a day of repentance of just confessing things in your life before him and saying, God, help me get back. Help my heart to break for what breaks your heart, and I need to get back. That is, that's a sign of the Spirit convicting and drawing you back of a, of a son or daughter of, of, of the King, that he's, he, he's convicting you, he's revealing, exposing your heart to come back. And maybe there's somebody today that you're just, you're having a hard time and struggling. Just, maybe just receive what he has for you today. Maybe there's somebody here that does not know Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Look to the cross. It's done. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to try to do enough things. You don't try to have to maintain it. That's the beauty of being a follower of Christ. When we fall flat on our face and, and we struggle he ushers us back home. And as our children, we want our kids to come to us when, when things are hurting and broken. He's ushering us back and come to me. Don't rebel. Don't push away. Come to me. He knows our hearts no matter what we say and come to him. So maybe there's somebody here today, young or old, that doesn't know Jesus and today could be the day of salvation. Maybe there's some that just need prayer. Maybe you need to come down and pray by themselves and pray with you. But the most important thing today, at the top of all of it, just give him all the praise and all the glory. Done out of his love for you and for me. What the law couldn't do, what we couldn't do, he did. He went to the cross. He took your death, your shame, the penalty for your sin, and he took it on himself. It's not just a mental story to pass down to our kids. It is something that changes everything about us. So let this land on you, however it may be, then we're going to stand and sing in just a minute.